You're listening to the Formation Church Podcast. Formation exists to be a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. For more information about the ministry of Formation in Salt Lake City, Utah, visit our website at formationslc.com. Yeah, I think this church is fast becoming like a sitting down preaching church. I'm a free spirit, so I'm going to stand. Um, I hope that doesn't offend Ryan too much. <laughs> so yes, uh, you do get to hear, to me, hear me today speak to you in my thick foreign accent. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why, but for, I've been told that to an American ear, apparently this is an intelligent accent. I don't know how we pulled this off. It seems to be the greatest con played by one people on another, but <laughs> I'm not complaining. Um, and it's not true, but you know, that's fine. <laughs> so today, I'm going to talk to you about what we do when God delays. Um, let's begin by thinking back to when we last asked God for something. I assume we do this from time to time. Um, if you don't, you really should begin doing so, but that's a different sermon. Um, as an example, let me begin with a scenario which I'm sure we are all familiar with. How many of us have ever experienced that horrible sinking feeling when we get an urgent bill that we just know we don't have the money to pay? First, we get a sense of dread. Our heart feels like it's dropped to our feet. Then our brain goes into this really weird frantic mode where we think of every possible place find money to pay the bill. Eventually, we may get around to asking God to intervene. And even as we pray, we're very aware that a stack of cash is very unlikely to materialize in front of us in thin air. It is possible, but it's unlikely. And so after we prayed, we have to settle in for a wait. Now, God often responds and helps us, and sometimes he does not. But between the asking and the answering, there's always an inevitable wait. Now, this scenario can be applied to any of the prayers, asking for help, praying for healing, for a miracle in a difficult relationship, for salvation of a loved one, for wisdom in a difficult decision. Each time, there will be the same pattern. We ask, then we wait. The focus on my talk this morning is going to be what we do during this time of waiting, during this time of delay. To do this, I want to focus on another people that experience delay. I want to teach you today a story which I'm sure many of you are familiar with, the story of the golden calf. Now, for those that are not familiar, I just want to set a scene before diving into the Bible around 1,200 years before the birth of Christ. And God's people, the Israelites, have recently escaped from 400 years of slavery at the hands of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. God freed them by raising up a leader called Moses. With the help of his brother Aaron, Moses went before Pharaoh, the most powerful ruler in the world, and he demanded that Pharaoh let his people go. Pharaoh refused. And God intervened. To cut a long story short, ten terrible plagues later, a begrudging and heartbroken Pharaoh agreed to 
let the Israelites go. And the Egyptians sent them away with gifts and gold. The newly freed and joyful Israelites left Egypt, led by God himself in the form of a pillar of cloud during the day, a pillar of fire at night. God led them into the, to the Red Sea and parted the waves so that they could pass through. God even drowned a pursuing Egyptian army in the sea behind them. After emerging into the barren wasteland beyond, God provided bread from heaven, blocks of quail for them to eat. He provided running water from barren rocks for them to drink. God had powerfully rescued them with signs and wonders. He was now providing for them and leading them. This must have been a high point for the Israelites. But it was at this point that God was going to give them the greatest gift yet. The greatest gift bestowed on any people on the earth up until this point. He was going to give them his law. A precious set of rules which would allow the people to be closer in relationship to God. God would even instruct them how to build a place where God himself could dwell with them in a specially constructed tent called the tabernacle. Now, it may be hard for us to realize how much of a big deal this actually was. Christians, we have God dwelling inside of us. But back then, and ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, God had not dwelt with any of his people. And this was due to sin. And, this, and God here was going to dwell with his people. And he was going to make them a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God gave these laws and instructions to his people through Moses. Moses would climb up a mountain called Mount Sinai. He would receive instructions from God, and then he would relay them to the people. Uh, it's important here to realize that this wasn't meant to be, these weren't meant to be secret revelations. Um, God initially wanted to speak to Moses in the presence of the people, but the people were so terrified by the presence of a holy God that they begged Moses to speak to them on their behalf. So Moses, an 80-year-old man, climbed up Mount Sinai, spoke with God, then climbed back down the mountain and told the people what God had been telling him. We join the story here on the third time that Moses has been up and down this mountain. And this time, Moses has been gone for a while. Let's begin reading from Exodus 32, verse 1. Turn to your Bibles, I think it'll be up here. I think also annoyingly, I'm using the NIV translation here. I forgot to change it, sorry. <laughs> so my translation may be a little bit different than what I'm reading, but it should be the same. Um, sure. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, you're good. Okay, so good. Oh, does that work? All right. Okay. So let's start reading. <clears throat> when the people saw that Moses was gone so long, in, well, sorry, that Moses was so long in coming down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, "Come, make us gods who will go before us. As this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him." Let's pause here. One of the previous times that Moses had been descended from the mountain, he conveyed to the people the Ten Commandments. These were the ten basic rules of God's law. And the first two read as follows. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. 
Number two, you shall make for yourself an image. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down and worship them. Now, the Israelites had literally just received these commandments. In addition, as we've discussed, these people, these are people who've been rescued from slavery by divine plagues, have walked through a parted sea, have eaten bread from heaven, drunk water from rocks, and have been led by God in the form of a physical pillar of cloud and fire, and even been so terrified by the presence of God that they needed Moses to speak to them on their behalf, to him on their behalf. These same people are asking Aaron to make a God who will go before them because Moses has been gone a little bit longer than they expected. To add to this, the Bible states a little bit earlier, this is happening just three months after they passed through the Red Sea. Three months. Now, this does seem ridiculous. And I think the writer of Exodus is drawing our attention to how ridiculous this is. But... Let's take a moment to personalize this story in our lives. As Christians, we have all experienced our own personal exodus from our own personal Egypt. The Bible states that living in sin is the equivalent to being in slavery. Paul says that before we were saved, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Galatians 4.3. And then he goes on to say that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Galatians 5.1. So God has rescued us from slavery and has given us freedom in Christ. So after our own personal exodus, what do we do? when we feel that God delays. When God delays in answering our prayers, our prayers for healing, for relief, for that miracle that we so desperately need. We discussed this a little bit in the introduction to this talk. When faced with this delay, the, the wait between us asking and God answering, do we trust God who rescued us out of slavery? Or do we seek to control the situation? Do we seek comfort away from God? Do we seek to force God's hand through religious acts? Do we seek to make ourselves gods who will go before us? Let's bear these things in mind as we read on in the story. So let's continue Exodus 32 verse 2. So you know, the people just asked Aaron to make for them the God. And Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Afterwards they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Now 
let's analyze how the Israelites reacted to God delaying. And we will see that it's not too different to how we behave in the same situation. We see the Israelites commit a number of idolatrous acts, which may not be too foreign to us. Before we delve in, we should probably define what idolatry is and idolatrous acts are. For the purpose of this talk, I will be defining idolatry as worshiping or giving divine honors to any created object in the place of God, i.e. disobeying the first and second of the Ten Commandments. So what does this passage teach us about idolatry? Well, the first idolatry that we see is the idolization of other people. Well, idolizing others. You see, we find that Aaron, initially he caves to those around him. Now, if you remember, Aaron was Moses' brother, and he was Moses' helper in leading the people. He was meant to be a voice of calm. He was meant to know better. But instead, he caves the anxiety and demands of those around him. Aaron listens to those around him instead of turning to God. Maybe, in response to God's delay, we listen to unhelpful voices of those around us, to the voices of unhealthy and unwise friends and family members, to the voices of ungodly celebrities or political leaders, to any of the many, many voices in the world around us who are seeking to interfere with our relationship with God. When our reverence for such people is positioned before God in our lives, this is idolatry. Next, we see the idolization of things or objects. The people take their gold jewelry to be made into an idol, directly disobeying the second of the Ten Commandments. At face value, this may seem very foreign to us. We don't regularly smelt down jewelry and turn them into golden animals to worship. But let's take a moment to think about this. A little over three months before, these people were slaves. Do slaves tend to own much gold jewelry? No, I imagine not. So where did the gold come from? The Bible actually tells us in Exodus 12, 35, a little bit before. And this, is, this passage comes just after Pharaoh has let the people go, finally. And it says, the Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed to all the people, so they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. The gold they were wearing came from Egypt. The Israelites used the gold taken from the world around them, the world in which they were slaves, to make their idol. In response to God's delay, do we take things from the world around us, money, possessions, fame, ideas, and turn them from things which glorify God into things that we worship instead of God? This, too, I'm afraid, is idolatry. The next thing we see the Israelites do is they idolize religion. We read that when Aaron saw this, 
he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there'll be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. We see here another very common response to God's delay, false religion. We see the people sacrificing burnt offerings and presenting fellowship offerings in front of the golden calf. The people turned to false religious practices in order to sway God's hand. These practices would have been very familiar to them in Egypt. Indeed, this is common in the pagan world, both in ancient paganism and in modern religions such as Hinduism. Worshippers would sacrifice to their gods in order to make their gods behave as they wish. However, I am sure that most of us do not turn to false religion, religions when God delays. Instead, we tend to do what Aaron did. Notice that Aaron built an altar to the Lord in front of the calf. God hadn't told Aaron to build an altar, but Aaron did it anyway. Aaron was not turning to other gods. Aaron was replacing relationship with God with unneeded religious practices. I'm sure that all of us in this room can think of a time we've done exactly the same thing. When we turn to empty religious ritual instead of turning to relationship with God, my friends, this is also idolatry. And finally, we see in this passage the people idolizing pleasure. We read that after this, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. In response to God's delay, do we turn to comfort? Do we overeat, overdrink, indulge in revelry? Feel free to insert any of your personal vices in place the word revelry here. It could be sex, it could be drugs, could be rock and roll. (laughs) But seriously, it could also be doom scrolling on social media. It could be anger at social or political issues. These things are often not bad in themselves. But when they are used as a replacement for a relationship with God, then when they come between us and God, they too become idols. Now, this is not an exhaustive list of idolatry. It's just what we see displayed here in the text. Even so, I would be surprised if there's anyone in this room, me included, who did not fall foul of at least one of these from time to time. You see, instead of turning to these idols and idolatrous ways, we should trust God and we should surrender to God's will and God's timing. Let's take a brief break from the story to look at how Jesus dealt with God's delay. Let's quickly turn to Mark 14, verses 33 to 36, where Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane prior to his arrest and crucifixion. It says that Jesus took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, 
he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. We see Jesus here, deeply distressed before his crucifixion. And although this is not exactly God delaying, we see similarities here in our experiences of delay on the part of God. Jesus is asking for God to deliver him, which God will do when he raises Jesus from the dead. But there is a horrific delay in between. Notice how Jesus prays to God through this. Jesus does three things that we should take note of. First of all, Jesus turns toward relationship with God. Jesus calls God Abba, Father. This intimate term is Jesus turning to relationship with God in his hour of distress. As with Jesus, instead of turning to idols, we should also turn to relationship and intimacy with our Heavenly Father. Number two, Jesus trusts God. Jesus prays, everything is possible for you. Jesus puts his trust in God's ability to deliver him from this moment. Again, we should trust God instead of turning to idols. And finally, and probably most importantly, Jesus submits to God. Jesus prays, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus finally submits to God's holy and perfect will. We don't understand everything in this world. Our pain often seems completely beyond our human understanding. Sometimes God delays in our deliverance. Sometimes, as with Jesus, we have to go through immense pain and suffering before we are delivered. And again, as with Jesus, before we are delivered, there will be a delay. Humble submission to God's will is required. And this submission should always be accompanied by a relationship with our Heavenly Father and trust in the infinite goodness, power, and wisdom of God. There is more to the story of the golden calf, however. There is God's response to all of this. So we keep reading in the passage. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down, because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, 
Why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, it was with evil intent that he brought them out, to kill them in the mountains, and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them. It will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Now, there are many fascinating things to say about this passage, but I really want to focus on one in particular. Here we see a very sobering reminder that God is holy and that our idolatry, regardless of the reasoning behind it, is sin. And that sin leads to hell and to destruction. God's wrath and anger burns against us for our idolatry, as it did for the Israelites all those years ago. Jesus himself said these chilling words. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew 10:28. This is very distressing seeing as we have just discussed how we are all prone to idolatry. But, and this is a big, big but, we see here a rhyme and a pattern. Moses, we see, intercedes with God on behalf of the Israelites, and God relents. You may be asking, why is this a pattern? I thought God was sovereign. Why would he relent? Why would an unchanging God change his mind? You see, the pattern follows a link, and a link between Moses and Jesus. As Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, so Jesus leads us out of slavery to sin. As Moses intercedes before God on behalf of Israel, so Jesus intercedes and mediates for God on behalf of us. Scripture teaches us this. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all. It's in 1 Timothy 2 verse 5. You see, as with Israel... God's anger burns against us for our idolatry. But for those who believe in Jesus, who died for our sins, Jesus will mediate before God on our behalf, and God will relent from his anger. This is not God changing his mind. Actually, this is God being who he has always been. The prophet Jonah puts it best. He says, speaking to God, I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah 4 verse 2. 
And it says in the Gospel of John, uh, probably the most famous Bible verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So for those who believe in Jesus, you shall not perish. God will relent from his anger and you will have eternal life. Not because you yourself are holy, but because Jesus, our God and our savior, died in our place and his holiness became our holiness and his holiness leads us to eternal life. And for those of you who do not yet believe, I urge you to believe. Put your trust in Jesus as your mediator between you and God. And God will relent in his anger towards you. And you will not perish, but you will share eternal life with Jesus. If anyone wants to know more about what it means to believe, I would encourage you to speak to Pastor Ryan or indeed any other believer in Jesus. This has been a heavy sermon, I'm sorry. <laughs> so to close here, uh, let's reflect on what we have just learned. In response to God's delay in answering our prayers, we can often turn to idolatry. We can turn to people, to things, to false religion, or to pleasure, in order to save us or to comfort us, rather than seeking relationship with, trusting in, or submitting to God. Let's now take a few minutes to reflect on which idols we often turn to. It could be from the list we've discussed today, or it could be anything else that we turn to instead of turning to God. Then let us confess this idolatry to God. Scripture tells us that if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our idolatry to God, God will faithfully relent from his anger. He will forgive us and we will be purified because Jesus died on the cross to pay for all our sin, all of our idolatry. Jesus suffered the wrath of God on our behalf Jesus took that bill that we could not pay and he paid it in full. So let us confess, repent, and turn to our lovingly, loving Heavenly Father, who is a gracious God and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Let's take a few minutes now just to reflect on this.